0: What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and the disciples believed. Jesus, we come here this morning ready to dive into your word, Lord, to learn from this passage from John today, God. I pray that as each of us hear what it is, Lord, um, that you have for us, God, that as we walk out today, as we leave this church, as we leave this space, we carry something with us. We pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. In the book, Unreasonable Hospitality, The Remarkable Power of Giving People More Than They Expect, Will Gadera, the former former general manager of 11 Madison Park, and I will say I had to Google the restaurant. I did not know what it was. So if you don't know, you are not alone. Um, But Gadera shares about his multi-year pursuit of working toward the restaurant earning three Michelin stars. I also had to Google Michelin stars. Um, So I read this book this last fall um, and really enjoyed it. And as I was reading it and just thinking about the way that this topic of hospitality and what it is to be unreasonably hospitable applies to our life as followers of Jesus, applies to service on a Sunday, but also applies to the things and the ways in which we live our life outside of the church. While in pursuit of three stars, the restaurant, of course, focused on food, aiming to prepare the best meals that people had ever eaten, but in a somewhat revolutionary way, Their primary focus was going above and beyond and being hospitable, thinking about it in creative ways, and as the subtitle says, giving people more than they expect. One practice they developed was noticing what specific restaurant patrons needed. On one occasion near the end of a meal at 11 Madison Park, a few diners who were visiting New York were discussing their visit when Gadara happened to walk by and overhear one of the guests say that their only regret was that they were leaving the city without having eaten a classic New York street food hot dog. Gadara seized the moment through an act of what he would later call unreasonable hospitality. He raced out of the restaurant to a hot dog vendor, bought a few hot dogs, brought them back to the kitchen, and asked the chef to plate them. And then he served the hot dogs to the guests, much to their surprise and delight. This is going above and beyond. It's giving people something that they would never expect or even think to ask for. Another way that they did this at 11 Madison Park was putting into practice this, um, something at the end of the meal. Imagine you're at the end of the meal, and oftentimes it's sort of this like, awkward moment of, like, when do I ask for the bill? Do we wait for the server to bring it to us? And so as they began thinking through that, they created this process where the end of the meal became more enjoyable for guests, and at the time that, it was, that the check needed to come out, there was this like signal from the, chef, or from the server to the chef to make a special treat for guests, and then to bring the, the, the bill out. This avoided people feeling kind of rushed at the end of the meal, but also they didn't have to ask the server for the check. This too is going above and beyond, considering all of the details, serving people well. Gadara says that intention means every decision, from the most obviously significant to the seemingly mundane, matters. To do something with intentionality means to do it thoughtfully, with clear purpose, and an eye on the desired result. If you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know that we've been preaching through the Gospel of John. And today we find ourselves in the beginning of chapter 2. Today, we are drawn in deeper into the life of Jesus, and the scene is a wedding in Cana. Jesus, his mother, and the disciples are all present. Weddings and the idea of providing hospitality through food, decor, drink, music, these things go hand in hand. Even the smallest, most unpretentious weddings seem to take into consideration hospitality. So when Mary comes to Jesus saying they have no more wine, we can likely see this as a bit of an issue. But in a culture of hospitality such as theirs, this is not just a bit of an issue. It is a huge embarrassment. We don't know the reasons for the wine running out. Maybe uninvited guests crashed the wedding. Maybe somebody miscalculated the amount of wine they needed. Maybe the FedEx truck arrived and nobody was there to sign off on it. That has happened a time or two at Church of the Cross. Some speculate, though, that it might actually be an issue of justice, that this family may be poor and lacks the resources or the wealth to have enough wine for the guests. We don't know the actual reason, but we do know the potential consequence. Shame brought to an entire family. With a little cultural context, we can come to appreciate more fully how running out of wine at a wedding is the opposite of unreasonable hospitality. And so we have a better understanding of why Mary came to Jesus with the issue, with this request. There has been a lot of speculation around Jesus' interaction with Mary as we heard Mother Sarah read it today. Without spending too much time on it, I'd like to suggest that even given Jesus' response, Mary knows that he will act but in his timing, the time that he judges to be right. I love how in the show, The Chosen, they depict this scene. With his hand on his mother's shoulder, Jesus addresses her with compassion and concern, saying, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. As we read it through our own contextual lens, it is easy maybe to see Jesus' tone as one that is harsh or dismissive. But the mother of Jesus responds as if her son has given her a clear yes, To her implied request. (laughs) And as a consequence, with complete confidence in Jesus, she tells the servants to go ahead and do whatever he tells you, demonstrating her own faith and understanding the words of her son. As Mother Sarah shared last week in her sermon, despite the fact that in the first chapter of John, Jesus is named King of Israel, Son of Man, the Gospel of John isn't over yet. There is more to see And in today's reading, we see more. The wedding at Cana is a transition in the Gospel of John in that Jesus is now becoming the central figure of the narrative. And it is important, too, to note that in John, Jesus rarely does things by human initiative, but instead is guided first and foremost by the Father's will and timing in all things. As we move into chapter 2, Jesus is revealing who he is for the world and for every person, in the world, After hearing from Mary that there is no more wine, he proceeds to turn water into wine. And we see from the words of the banquet manager that it is not your everyday wine. It was the best wine of the night. And this differs from what most hosts at the time would have done, saving the cheaper wine for the end of the party when nobody would notice. Here, Jesus has provided something for people that they never would have thought to ask for, more than they expected. Now that some of this scene is set, I'd like to focus primarily on verse 11. While it comes comes at the end of this passage, verse 11 really is this climactic point. It reads, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This sign of turning water into wine, it is a miracle of transformation. It is the first of seven signs that Jesus publicly performs Some of the other signs that come later in John are the healing of the royal official's son, the feeding of the 5,000, and Jesus walking on water. But the turning of water into wine and these other signs that come later, they are signs because they are not ends in themselves. But they are pointing us to God's work, and they call for faith from those who witness them. They are indicators of God's work in this world. Think of a road sign that is pointing an arrow, pointing you toward a destination, not simply a sign saying that you have arrived. As the poem in our bulletin describes, the signs Jesus performs are a pillar to guide us home. The turning of water into wine points towards something far more valuable than wine, as valuable as it may be. It points us to the source of all life and joy, entry into the new life that Jesus brings. We must admit, though, that this seems like an unlikely place for the Son of God to demonstrate his very first public sign. If he's going to do a miracle, we might expect expect something more noticeable, flashes of light, something that says, I am great and powerful. No one's life is at risk. Nobody is starving here. There is no illness. But... As is the way of Jesus, with great intention, he tends to matters that are both obviously significant and seemingly mundane. As Mother Sarah pointed out this to us last week, Jesus sees people, and here, in this scene, at this wedding, he sees the needs of this family. After all, this is Jesus we're talking about, the king who humbled himself by becoming human and whose glory was ultimately manifested on the cross. He became weak in order to become powerful. And for his glory to be fully revealed, we should not be surprised that he starts in this sort of unsuspecting way. Yet it is a bit surprising. Well, there is so much that is rich in today's passage, so many threads to pull on. I actually, in fact, preached on this same passage a little over a year ago um, from the lectionary, but now we're back in John. And so today we are kind of pulling on a different thread. There are so many directions we could go in. So many details suggesting the presence of meaning beneath meaning. But it is in the provision of the abundance that Jesus begins to reveal himself. Here, Jesus' glory is not simply revealed in his ability to turn water into wine, but in his generous provision, his unreasonable hospitality. In Old Testament passages such as Isaiah 26, we find promises of feasting and drinking that will come with the Messianic age when Jesus will reign and bring universal peace. There is a scene in the book, The Brothers Karamazov, where Alyosha, one of the brothers, is grieving and questioning his faith after the death of his mentor. He enters into the place where the mentor's coffin is, and this very story, the wedding from Cana, is being read by a priest. It's a sort of stream of consciousness moment, much like a lot of that book can be. Um, It's difficult to tell if he is awake or if he is asleep. His thoughts seem to intertwine with this gospel story. In it, though, he is reminded of God's love for the common man, his love for the poorest, most abject people. And following this experience, Alyosha comes to realize that Christ came to preach a message of joy, a message of love, and he is forever changed. The glory of the Lord has been revealed to him. In focusing on verse 11, I would like to consider what it means for the glory of the Lord to be revealed, not just in this passage, but throughout scripture and in our own lives. Glory is a word that we hear often. I'd like to dig in a little bit deeper into what that means. The Hebrew word for glory means heaviness or weight. It is used in everyday speech to express both the worth of a person in a material sense, but also to express the ideas of importance, greatness, honor, splendor, power, and so on. The glory of the Lord refers to the manifestation of God's presence. Scripture teaches that glory of, the glory of the Lord is revealed in many ways. Perhaps first and foremost, it is revealed to us in the face of Christ, and it is manifested in his power. What happens here in John, it is a stunning moment, even if we don't initially see it that way. As Isaiah prophesied in chapter 40, verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Glory is a theme that we see throughout John. It connects not only to the signs and works of Jesus' ministry, beginning with the wedding at Cana, but also to the incarnation and to the cross. The theme of glory also goes back to the Old Testament, as we saw in Isaiah. It goes back to this understanding of the temple as a place of the indwelling of the divine glory. Psalm 26.8 says, Lord, I love the house where you live, the place where your glory dwells. The events of Cana reveal the divine glory which radiates from Jesus, a glory that is loving, unreasonable, abundant, life-giving, joy-giving, unlike anything else. And this glory, it is for you, and it is for me. And it is calling us into faith in Jesus Christ. While it is the first of the public signs that Jesus performs, it happens a bit behind the scenes. There is no action from Jesus, such as praying or touching the jars that we see. He simply tells the servants to fill them. The act is hidden from most of the people at the wedding. We see that in the reading. And Jesus really isn't given credit for having done it. It is the banquet manager who is the first to taste the wine and declare this miracle that has been performed. As small as the sign may seem, it is ultimately about who Jesus is. Because he is just beginning his public ministry, in a sense here, he is declaring his business, his vocation, his ministry on earth. He is saying, this is what I am about. And by this, he is providing for people what they cannot provide for themselves, rescuing them. In this first move being about keeping a party going, he is declaring that he is the master of the banquet, the Lord of the feast, and the bringer of new life. He comes to bring deep joy and promises a place where everything will be made new, every tear wiped away, and in the end, the new heaven will come down, and it will renew this place. God's glory is also revealed through his presence at the wedding, a joyous occasion. In the wedding story, we come face to face with the beauty of Jesus Christ and his divine humanity. And in catching just a glimpse of this, we can find so much sustenance. If you come in here today tired or weary, discouraged, there's sustenance in this reminder. It has the potential to enable us to transcend ourselves, our worries that we have today, our immediate concerns with a vision of God's beauty and God's radiance. How many of us need this today and every day? How many of the people that we know also need this reminder? This is the rock on which our lives can be built, holding us in the hard times and reassuring us that the divine glory made flesh We'll have the last word in our lives, and indeed, in all of creation. As we saw in last week's reading, Jesus promised Nathanael that he would see greater things. And here today, in this reading, we come face to face with one of these greater things. Not only did the disciples witness Jesus doing this earthly ministry, they also got to see a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven revealed through Jesus' provision. As the glory of the Lord is beginning to be revealed through this first sign, it is as if the clouds are beginning to part. They are moving away, beginning to reveal to us the bright shining sun, glimpses of who the Father is, the one who came to save. In turning the water into wine, a God who makes all things work for our good is revealed. Because of Jesus' act, the joy of the evening continues, and his hosts, the hosts, are not embarrassed. Knowing that Jesus cared enough to provide abundantly for his guests at the wedding, to begin to reveal who he is, we can begin to imagine how he cares for us, how much he might abundantly serve us and provide for us too. Not only did this miracle point to who Jesus' true identity is for those in attendance at the wedding, leading his disciples to believe, for us today, it still has the potential to bear witness to Jesus as the one who brings the rich fullness of the messianic age. I wonder, where do you encounter the glory of the Lord today? In the everyday, on this rainy Sunday morning? Do you experience it in people, books, dreams, interactions with your family, and a long drive? What are the signs that point you toward the reminder of the beauty of the kingdom of heaven, the abundant love and joy that is found in Jesus? One of my seminary professors often used the language, a foretaste of the kingdom of heaven. And after having sat under his teaching for four years, it has very much become a common phrase for me as well. When I think about this foretaste, a sampling of the kingdom of heaven, I think of those moments where the glory of the Lord is revealed in small, everyday moments through God's creation, oftentimes in very unexpected ways. On Sundays, as we gather in the back, those of us who are serving, oftentimes we will pray. We always pray, but oftentimes the prayer, part of the prayer that we pray is for people to enter our doors and to not only be met by God, but to also be met by our people. That those who call Church of the Cross home and have been here for some five, six, seven years, who also walked in these doors, not sure if they would know somebody, how they would be met years ago, that those same people would extend the love of Christ to newcomers today. In essence, the prayers that the Lord would be revealed, that the glory of the Lord would be revealed through those people as newcomers enters our, enter our doors. Every day in large and small ways, the Lord is being revealed and we are being called to faith in him. It can be easy to miss, perhaps especially if you've been hurt by the church, if you're suffering in some way, if you are doubting, if it feels like you're just trying to survive and make it to the next day. But I urge all of us, not to miss the reminders of the kingdom breaking in and not to lose sight of the fact that Jesus came to bring joy, peace, and renewal. Our life with Jesus is ongoing. It is ever-changing. And as we journey with him, our faith changes. It grows. We learn new things. We might also experience moments of doubt. But with this, the Lord is constantly revealing himself to us in fresh and new ways. He is drawing us to himself, calling us to believe. A few weeks ago, I was talking to a dear friend. We were discussing our children, and she shared how she and her husband are navigating talking with them about the use of curse words. As we talked, she paused, and she became a bit emotional, saying, "'The one thing that I know I don't want them to say is Jesus Christ.'" She proceeded to say, I love Jesus and the person that he is. You see, this friend grew up in the church. She grew up with a father who is a pastor. She grew up with most of her life revolving around the church. And every hurt that you could imagine is something that she has experienced in the church by so-called Christians. She would not identify herself today as a Christian or as a follower of Jesus. But every week I get text messages from her asking me to pray for various things. In her, in her life, I can still see the glory of the Lord revealed at times. I can still still see glimpses of Jesus calling her to himself. Jesus came to save, and he came to turn the world upside down. Jesus centered the suffering. He cared for the poor, the widow, the orphan. And just as he, and he also cares that much for us. We, too, are called to do so for our sisters and for our brothers. We, too, get to reveal the glory of the Lord to them. God has invited us into this good work. In our interactions with others, we can display the care and the compassion of the Lord. Paul likens us to shining stars. The word shine, it means to reflect. With unveiled faces, we all reflect the Lord's glory. And we are, even today, being transformed into his likeness with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord. It is the sublime identity of the Son, the source of creation of the good wine kept till last that is at the center of the Cana miracle. Jesus' presence, his unreasonable hospitality towards those who were at the wedding, towards us today, it does not promise that there will not be hardship or suffering. But it does mean that we serve a God who sees us through our trials, at times quietly, providing for our needs, not being noticed, or getting the credit. The joy and presence of the Lord, it is available to each of us, here and now. And while it is nothing like that of the future, when we will see our Lord face to face, it is here for us. Amen.